You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Chris. I just wanted to set up this interview because this one's very different. It is three different podcasts coming together to talk about animals and how animals impact us, how we can help heal our trauma, and also the, the trauma that they experienced and how they can remember that and, and keep that. And it's also a near and dear podcast to my heart because it's with my my special partner and wife, Pippa, and for her podcast, The Conscious Convo, coming together to interview Shelby Dennis, who has a very successful podcast, Making Milestones. Uh, she's a wonderful horse trainer and located in Canada. So Pip and I sat down and interviewed her together for all three podcasts. It is different because we're not just talking about a, a certain species of animal or their conservation, but really reflecting on how animals impact us. It is something that Angie and I both uh, want to continue this type of conversation. I mean, after six years doing the All Creatures podcast, we want to try to introduce some different elements to broaden our horizons on these animals and, and what they do for us and in nature. I had just gotten back from Australia, and I was very fortunate to visit Steve Irwin's Australia Zoo. It had always been on my bucket list. And I was able to interact with the Binturong and see Quokka for the first time. I saw a wombat going for a walk for its enrichment. These animals are very well taken care of. Gorgeous exhibits, a lot of space, and a lot of education, what they're doing at Australia Zoo. So I was very, very lucky. And it just got me thinking as I sat there watching the children laugh and everybody, you know, looking at the the animals and the wonder and being around them, you know, being out in nature or working closely with, say, a horse, or you're just going for a walk with your dog in the woods, all of that are all things I think we need, we need to consider. So in this episode, we kind of talk about those topics. Pip brings it from a spiritual perspective. She's working on her master's degree in, in, in trauma, overcoming trauma in people's lives with, with her business. And Shelby's, you know, keen insight on horses and the trauma they experience, wild horses, things that they've done. We all just kind of intertwine it in this, this wonderful hour we spent together. So thank you for listening and enjoy this episode. I'm here with a very special guest today. And I'm also with my husband, Chris. And today's a different type of podcast episode. Chris and I are interviewing... An amazing soul, Shelby Dennis, and she is a horse behavior specialist, LIMA trainer, 
IAABC certified. So I was interested to talk to Shelby today because she loves horses and I love horses and my husband loves horses and understanding that she works with trauma in horses as well. And that kind of just sparked my, you know, it was like a light bulb for me and I wanted to talk to her today. So having Chris on the podcast as well, my husband, you've all heard of him before. I talk about him all the time. So Chris and I are going to be giving Shelby some questions today. But before I get started, Shelby, if it's okay with you, I loved your forward of your book and it's about the path to enlightenment. And that's a big thing that I just, I've actually got the tattoo on my back of the Unalome symbol, which is the path to enlightenment. You know, sometimes our path is, isn't always straight. We get tested, we get gifted and this, this, life is beautiful and we have to see the light wherever we can. So it's okay with you, Shelby, before we get started. Can I read that forward? Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. The path to enlightenment is riddled with thorns. The thick gnarled arms and clawed fingers reach towards you, snagging your clothes, slicing your skin and gripping at you hungrily as they try to halt your journey. The angry red scratches on your limbs become hard to ignore, pain demanding your attention. Tentacle-like vines attempt to wrap around your limbs, threatening to imprison you amid the thorns and leave you hopelessly lost in the darkness of dissonance while the light within that once yearned for something better becomes nearly snuffed out. But if you manage to push through despite the spikes digging into your skin, your skin toughens, the forest of vines like knives starts to thin and just like that, this painful prison starts to become nothing more than a bad dream. The path to enlightenment isn't an easy trek. It presents challenges at every step, leaving you battered and bruised, out of the breath and wishing you'd never started to your climb. But as you get closer to the summit, things get brighter. Look around, breathe deeply and take it all in. The air is different up here. The skies broaden and suddenly your effort makes complete sense because you've made it here. And boy, it is ever beautiful. I read that and I just got absolute goosebumps and I wanted to read it today. So thank you for letting me read that, Shelby. And welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for sharing. I'm glad you liked it. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on. So I think my first question I've been intrigued to ask is, why horses? You know, why did you choose horses? And when it comes to trauma in horses, where have you seen the interconnectedness with horses and humans? So I started riding really young. I was only four years old. And I think the reason why I got into it was my mom was always into horses. But when she had me and my brothers, she'd gotten out of horses at that point to focus on her career as a teacher and raise us kids. So I kind of got introduced to horses because she had like these model briar horses that I started playing with when I was really, really small, like two years old. And I started asking to ride horses as soon as I could talk, but she couldn't get anyone to take me on as a student until I was about four years old, which is when I then started riding. And it, they were just always an animal that I resonated with. They're my favorite animal. If you go back through all of my elementary school projects and everything, like I anytime I could make something about horses I did so it's just been this long-term passion and then getting into the trauma side of things and learning about horse behavior kind of came about naturally as I aged and got curious about uh, the equine sciences that was kind of triggered by when I got my rescue horse Milo because 
through him, I kind of started questioning a lot of the stuff that I'd been taught by other trainers because it just didn't seem to be working for us. He needed, he needed to um, be put in his place and like shown who's boss and none of that aggression or roughness really worked with him. So then I started studying horse behavior through Guelph University and what I learned really resonated with me personally and it made a lot of sense. And then I also started taking human psychology courses through a different university around the same time. And through that, I learned a lot more about human cognition and trauma. And I kind of just jumped down the rabbit hole of learning about that because I've experienced a lot of trauma throughout my life myself, and there's a lot of parts of myself that I had never felt were properly understood by me or anyone around me. Um, so learning about horse trauma and kind of studying their behavior was kind of a more welcome way of getting into the science of trauma and learning how to forgive myself and what might motivate my own behaviors because the focus was on horses rather than looking inward and looking at myself, which would have been a lot harder at that time. And it kind of started off slowly. And then the further I got into it and the more I learned, the more fascinated I became um, by the science of trauma and how it impacts the body and how little we're actually taught about it. Like a lot of the times when you go to the doctor and you're sick, they're very rarely going to link it to like your mental illness or like anxiety or trauma that you've experienced. And we're still very behind in recognizing that as people. So the lack of understanding of horse trauma and how we misread their behavior signals, I think comes about naturally because we're taught to do the same thing to ourselves. And yeah, through horses, I've kind of gone down a healing journey that has resulted in me learning a lot more about myself. It is interesting. And I know you and you and Pip could talk for hours. <laughs> I just, everything you just said is like what she's studying and what she talks to me and she's, take you know like she's getting her master's degree right now in trauma and she's like chris and we have these long conversations uh, and then you know so i'm flipping it on the side where from from the animals perspective and and your book was was really interesting and i just want our listeners uh to be able to find it and the other side of horsemanship my journey of unlearning cruelty and healing trauma one of the things angie and i both in, in our podcast i mean we both have a passion for horses is i argue there's no other animal in history that has had such an impact on humanity you know not just and, and that's just from the work side from the ability to ride them and travel and and you know when i talk about draft horses and the trillions of pounds they've pulled for us you know we wouldn't be at the moon i argue today we wouldn't even have cell phones if it wasn't for horses we wouldn't be as advanced as we are, you know, our own species. But take that away. You take away what they've done for us. What is it about the connection with them? Because there's just something. Yeah, we love our dogs and our cats, you know, our personal pets that live in our homes. They're very close to us. But there's just something, that connection with horses. What is it? Can you pinpoint that? Yeah, I have like my theories. Like I think that the difference with dogs and cats is they're both predator species and if you think about a lot of the most common pets that people get they're predators like us so whether like even though they have different behaviors and different motivations than humans i think they more closely resemble what our motivations are and they're not the same as horses horses are these really big and powerful but extremely benevolent kind and forgiving animals that we can 
push to do the most terrible is the wrong word, but the most the things that are just so incompatible with them as a species and they'll just do it even if they're scared and they don't trust us and people are mean to them and asking them to do it. So I think part of the reason why people resonate with them so much is that like they are kind of a, a representation of what forgiveness and kindness and true benevolence actually is because very rarely do they ever show aggression towards people and kind of lash out in the way that a dog or a cat might if you mistreat them. And on top of that, the way that they go about their life is very quiet and about expressing a lot of emotion, but not in an extremely obvious way. Like if a dog injures itself, it's going to yelp. Horses are really stoic and all of their communication for the most part is body language. So when you're around them, if you really want to hear what they're saying, you kind of have to stop and watch them and observe and listen and be more in the moment. Like I've described training horses and like going about training the way that I do now as like an almost meditative experience, because when you're trying to understand horses and like how they react to things, not only are you observing the horse, but you're observing the entire environment. Like their ear turns to the left. What are they listening to? Is there a branch cracking in the forest? Is there a deer over there? Uh, a breeze blows in and they perk up. What are they smelling? Not that we can really guess that one because we're not as good scent wise as they are, but they're, they're very in tune with their environment. And if you watch them, you notice just how many things they take in that we're actively tuning out as humans. So I think that people resonate with them so much because they call for you to be more in the moment and with them emotionally. And their entire being is just very like intuitive and emotional about their way of going about life. Whereas I think humans, to some extent, lack that because we've had it untaught to us like we're taught out of being that way and horses kind of help people reconnect with that um and i think that's definitely a big aspect of it where spiritually but then i think there's also a darker side of it where since they're so benevolent kind powerful and large people who want control and power and domination in their life are handed a very convenient way of doing that with these big animals that can make them feel powerful because they can control them and make them do their bidding. And then it'll make them feel like they have control in some aspect of their life and it'll make them feel powerful and special. So it's two different sides of the coin. And I think both appeal to people very much. Um, one of those two things is healthier than the other though. I love what you said. And you kind of, you've answered two of my questions that I would have asked you. And I think, it's to go off what horses can teach us. You know, like you said, they're so calm and in tune with their environment. And a lot of us mentally aren't at, at that stage. You know, we're not present. We're not in touch with our intuition. We don't listen to our gut feelings. And the one thing I'm fascinated with is nervous system. So like our nervous system and every single animal on this planet has a nervous system. And I think learning it from a mammalian side, like, you know, watching the wild and how they react and respond to different environments. And like you said, when they're scared, you know, they'll obviously move and run and their ears change and definitely Chris's forte with behavior. But I think from spiritually, you know, I was a teenager and I was horse riding a lot and it wasn't until like one bolted on me and I became scared of them. And that was from being a young age and slowly after, you know, meeting Chris and being around them, I love being around them. There's just something about their presence that, I guess it's like elephants, you know, I've been around elephants and being around them as well. There's just this serene, divine 
like you said, presence. It's like it helps you to connect and meditate. And I love seeing the videos online, you know, where people own horses and they lay down with them in the field. I'm like, I really want to go and do that. I'm going to have to manifest that somehow. But I'll go on to another question I wanted to ask you, Shelby, was you've had a lot of horses in your life and they've been massive for your journey. I know you went through a really rough time with your dad and I wanted to send my love for that as well. And I think having horses in your life when you were going through something so hard was obviously a huge savior for you. So maybe this will be a hard question to ask and answer, but what's one of your highlights with horses that have helped you to heal? Like, has there been a specific memory or a moment where you just had that, how I explain it is you just have this divine love wash over you and everything just seems to wash away and the horse helps you feel better. Has there been a moment like that for you? I think I've had like lots of ones like that in like over the years where it's just been very clear to me, like just how much they understand how people are feeling where it's kind of like a light bulb moment where you're like, Oh wow. Like they really get this. Um, one that comes to mind immediately was only like a few years ago, but um, like with my mom and her horse, she was having a hard time. She went out into the field to go hang out with him. And like, he just like, was like just quietly stood with her with his head in her arms and just didn't move because it's like what she needed him to do and he just like hung out and provided her with comfort and I've had similar things happen with my horses where I'll be in a really bad mood because I'll be having a hard time and I would be going out to feed them not necessarily with the intention of like staying out there and hanging out with them but they would just like exist around you so quietly and they'd know when you're not emotionally quite right and they would just stand with you and like be extra gentle in their demeanor and just like really um, doting and kind. And it it's eye opening from the standpoint of you realize like even though you don't speak the language of them, just how much they understand. Um, another more recent example that I think really, to me, exemplified their level of intelligence and just how intuitive they are is. Um, my horse Milo, who's the one I've had for the longest, I've had him almost a decade after this year. Last summer, um, I was in the field to like feed them and hang out. And I was just like doing my thing. And he kept bringing his head down, like right over top of me and just like resting it there and like leaning there and just was like really quietly just putting his head like to the side and just nudging at me and like trying to get my attention for something. And I was like, I didn't know what he was doing initially. And then after a bit like when he kept doing it like he was trying to put his jaw over my head so I could see underneath his throat and then I finally noticed that he'd gotten stung by a bee or something there because he had like something underneath his jawline and it was like to the point where I was like sitting on the ground so his head was like almost at like touching the ground because he was so persistent about getting me to see it and then as soon as I noticed and I started looking at it he stopped doing that immediately and I was like okay like People could argue that it's like because of something else. But when you find the motivation of whatever it is that they're trying to get you to pay attention to and they stop doing what they're doing, generally speaking, you could pretty safely assume you've figured out what they're trying to communicate. And that was just something very deliberate where it was like he wanted to get human assistance in getting like an antihistamine or something put on it um, or even just scratch because it was itchy. Um, and he kept trying to communicate that until I looked and that was really cool because I think that we don't give most animals enough credit for their cognitive capacities and their ability to communicate um, because it's so different from how we communicate and the way we base intelligence of other creatures is off of like our view of intelligence, which largely is about their willingness to obey us 
And in my opinion, the most intelligent animals are, they, they shouldn't always be obedient because the sign of intelligence is saying no to something that defies your autonomy and your safety um, because you know it's bad for you. Like, so obedience doesn't necessarily equate to intelligence. It shows their ability to learn things, but it doesn't mean that they're super smart. It's like the intuitive capacity that horses show and stuff that's completely unrelated to training that I think is what is so magical about them. And I've had a lot of those moments where I've kind of just been like really taken aback by like how they notice things and how gentle and caring they are. Like I've also noticed it with horses around children, the way that they interact with children is really different than how they interact with adults. Like again, my horse Milo, he's more cat like in his personality. He doesn't usually like having his face handled and touched and he'll just move away when most adults try to handle his face but I had my nephew who at the time was like six months old and he put his head like down into his stroller and was just like nuzzling at him really gently and my nephew started like pulling at his nostrils really gently kind of like how the little kid in spirit stallion of the Cimarron was and was like petting his face and he just stood there and like had his head way down just quietly interacting with him in a way that like he wouldn't let an adult or larger person do um and we've even had like children lead him and he'll lead like and I've seen a lot of horses do this where they'll lead beside these kids with their head right down at the level of the kid and just quietly really carefully picking their steps to avoid hurting the kid and it's just I think it speaks for their intuitive capacity to understand people and like who might be at risk or like what someone needs in the moment I'm like I have like chills listening to you talk about horses like that because it is so true and I talk to so many people and they're, you know, when I talk about my background in horses and they're like, oh my gosh, I love them, but I can never touch them. They're scared of horses, right? They're, 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 they're frightened because this large beast, 1200 pounds or 500 kilograms that could hurt me. And people don't realize how gentle they are and, and how perceptive they are. And, and then the other point I wanted to make that you just talked about their intelligence, we don't give animals enough credit for how smart they are. And one of the things I've learned talking about species after species after species is not only just their behaviors, but culture. That's something that I've never looked at before. You know, animals have culture. You know, we talk about orcas training, grandmothers training the, the calves. You know, horses have, have a culture. They have a society out in the wild. And I was watching your YouTube channel. You were going out with, with some wild horses and it brought me back to to one of my memories studying wild horses and I was just out under a tree studying them. And the next thing I knew I had 10 of them in a circle around me, you know, sniffing me. And, and, and I was like, these are wild animals. They've never been handled by people. So can you talk about what you've learned? Cause you've worked with Mustangs, right. From, from, from the ground up. I, how do you alleviate some of that fear that people have of horses and, uh, you know, being around them and, and your experiences, especially with wild Mustangs, you know, getting them from, you know, completely feral to something that that's handleable. So I think like, and I, I've said this a lot, like my theory is that the entire representation we have of horses being dangerous and like hurting people and like uh, all of these compilations online of horses being chaotic and like, these compilations of them bucking people off, biting them, doing things that are dangerous. 
every single one of those behaviors is the result of human intervention creating aggression and unpredictability and putting them in situations where they're really stressed and they're basically given no choice but to react that way. And I don't think it's actually a representation of what their behavior is really like. I think it's a dysfunctional behavior that's created because their needs are largely unmet in human society. Like it's very, very common to not provide their most basic needs. Like even just in the media and on paper and when you're watching movies, like how common it is just for horses to be depicted only living in stalls. Like for honestly over a decade of my riding career, it never even crossed my mind that like my horse was missing out because he wasn't getting social turnout or how many of his unpredictable, dangerous behaviors were related to the fact that he almost never left his stall. So I think that a lot of the danger that we see in horses would be almost completely erased if we started doing better by them in our training and management of them. And if we started to embrace training practices that didn't really honor the domination and forcing the horse to do something despite their fear and pushing like riding them through it. Instead, you honor the fact that they're afraid and you kind of go about it as you would or as you should with like a scared child, you're not just going to throw a bucket of spiders on a kid who's afraid of spiders. You're going to teach them about the spider and be like, hey, see, like, it's not dangerous. Watch this and slowly go about it until they're more comfortable with it rather than throwing it at them all at once. So I think a lot of the danger is created from how we handle them. And Mustangs are a great example because you see all these videos of Mustangs exploding under saddle or like lunging at people and trying to attack them. But if you look at all those clips, it's a Mustang that's trapped into a little area that they can't escape. And it's like, yeah, if they're wild and they're afraid of you and they think you're a predator and they think that their life might be at risk, the smart thing to do is to try to attack you and get you to leave them alone because they think that you're a risk to their life. And same with the saddle being on them. If you don't actually properly prepare them, they're going to explode and they're going to treat the saddle like it's a predator clinging to their back and they're going to go crazy trying to get it off until they finally give in and go into learned helplessness. Or if they're successful in getting the saddle off, then they learn like, hey, this is a behavior that works to get away from the thing that I'm afraid of. Um, like my Mustangs at no point have I ever had them display any aggression. They've never so much as pinned their ears at me. They've never threatened to kick. They've never tried to bite me they've never struck out at me and I attribute that to the fact that at all times in my handling of them they've always been able to escape they've always been able to leave they've never felt cornered or trapped and I've never put them in situations where they have to worry about me being such a threat that they have no other choice than to come after me and at this point I've only saddled one of them but we had at, like the, the videos of me saddling her people are like oh she's clearly done this before she's not wild and it's like no like I introduced it to her really slowly and was really conscious of her behavior if she was like flinching or looking at it at all it's like okay obviously I shouldn't be slapping this on her and doing the girth up at this point and that's how I avoided all those reactions but we have a culture of people who actually think that these reactions are 100% unavoidable and that some horses are just like that and that it's just the way that training is and anyone who says otherwise just hasn't handled enough horses and I don't think any of that's actually true like I think sometimes it's unavoidable from the standpoint of people make mistakes they miss behaviors, especially when they aren't taught to what to look for. Um, and then we will create dangerous situations or sometimes something so scary and out of our control happens and the horse might react dangerously. So it's not to say that you can make them 100% safe and predictable, but we create so many dangerous situations that result in people getting injured because of how we handle them. And this is the, the first thing that I tell the people who have minimal experience with horses. Um, where they're afraid of them or they've had like a bad experience with the horse or the horse has done something that scared them. I'm like, 
I am willing to bet money. Like I, I'll, I'd bet my whole career that the horse that bucked you off at the trail riding camp or did X, Y, Z thing to scare you was miserable or terrified. Like it was probably so unmet in its needs. It probably had so much trauma or it was just so frustrating with the environment that it lashed out. And what I find so interesting about the societal perception of horses is that if you replaced a horse with any other animal, be it like an orca whale, a jaguar in a zoo, or like any type of animal that's perceived as more wild and not viewed as like a such a domesticated animal and you showed the same behaviors that people laugh at and glorify in horses like cribbing weaving stall walking if you got a zoo animal doing the same thing people would be like oh my god this is so horrible that animal is clearly miserable blah blah blah, blah. and like no wonder they're attacking people or being dangerous but we've been trained to not view things that way with horses and what I think so unfortunate about that is that it also results in a lot of avoidable human deaths and injuries. So that's something that even outside of the welfare for the horses that I would really like to see change because there's so many people who have career ending injuries or life ending injuries that would have been avoidable in most cases if they just handled things a bit differently. That leads me perfect into my next question. So let's think about what I'm learning and that's to help people heal their trauma as you know, a 30 year old, 40 year old, 50 year old, and let's choose an example of I have a lady come to see me and she's had really abusive parents growing up you know they were alcoholics or you know just use an example helping them heal with the tools that we have is going to be different to how we help horses heal their trauma so what have you seen in your experience Shelby that what can we do obviously as trained specialists but as just normal people like obviously Chris is more obviously qualified than I am how can we help horses heal their trauma? You know, we have all these modalities right now to help humans heal the trauma, but we can obviously communicate things different. But if you think about trauma, it's what happens to the body, not what happens to you. So as you know, you, horses obviously have been through traumatic experiences. Every horse is different. Every horse has been treated differently. Have you seen any tools to help horses heal trauma? And if you haven't, what would you think would be a good thing to do? So I'd say the two most important things, the first would for sure be addressing the management. Like if they're not getting appropriate species care, number one fix, because it nine times out of 10 solves a ton of problems or will at least like 50 to 60 to 70% solve problems and make it way easier to address them in other ways. So making sure that they have free choice access to forage and if the horse is overweight or has problems eating too much, get it a slow feed hay net and make sure it has forage in front of it basically all the time and that it's not going for hours without food. Um, another thing would be really understanding the fact that they're social herd animals. And if you keep it one in isolation where it basically can't move around much at all, the isolation on top of the fact that they can't really move much is guaranteed to change their behavior. Like even the most reliable, quiet horses who are that way, despite the fact that they don't get enough turnout, their behavior will change when they're offered the right thing. Um, and a lot of people will go, oh, my horse is aggressive to other horses or, oh, he freaks out when I turn him out and he's stressed. And it's like, yes, because it's new and it's scary. And if you throw them into this suddenly new situation when they have no social skills and they don't know how to interact with other horses and therefore they create bad situations because it's new to them. Or you throw them into a huge, open, overstimulating area when they spend a lot of their life being in a tiny, dark, understimulating area it's naturally going to create fear, but it doesn't mean that it's not the right thing for them. It just means that you need to go about introducing it to them slower. 
and really help them out. So what I would encourage people to do is if you're willing to put work into fixing a behavior that a horse shows you under saddle that you don't like, such as refusing jumps, and you're willing to put months or weeks of work into fixing that, you should easily be willing to do at least double that when it comes to their well-being because it's about their long-term health and happiness. Um, and sometimes you need to put work in to help a horse relearn how to be a horse. So the management is a huge, crucial aspect of helping them heal trauma because then what it does is it takes their baseline stress level and like slashes it in half or more. And then you have a horse who's in a state where they're able to think and process more of the training help that you might have. Um, and that kind of goes into my other point with the training, but this also plays into management as well as the autonomy, like an animal that has no autonomy and able, like no ability to make decisions for itself is going to have a really hard time processing and healing trauma because they're like a puppet. Their entire life is controlled and monitored and they have no ability to make their own decisions and do things that they find fulfilling. And if it's been like that for a, a while, they might not even try to do that. Like, I've had horses that I've gotten that have been in situations like that. And when you first turn them out in a field and stuff, they literally don't know what to do. They just stand there and people might look at a horse like that and go, oh, well, he just stands there. He doesn't need to go. But it's like, just wait, like give him some time to try to learn how to interact with the environment and realize that he's free because they've been put in cages for so long that they don't know what it's like to be free. They don't even, they can't even fathom what it's like to be able to make decisions. Um, and with training, I find for addressing trauma that that's why positive reinforcement is so powerful because it gives them agency and autonomy because you're teaching them, okay, if you do this, you're getting this result. And it's very consistent. There's no penalty if they don't do the thing that you're asking. But if they do the thing, there's a consistent result that they want to seek. So it shows them that they can interact and enact change in their environment, which then helps free them from the fear of like punishment or having unexpected scary things happen and you're providing them with a very cut and dry way of being like if x happens then y will follow it and then it takes away the fear of being like okay like what might come next because that's what i find with a lot of traumatized horses is they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop so they can't relax and then in training they might do what you ask them to but they're always super tense because they're just waiting for something else to happen and those horses, while it takes a ton of repetition, because um, horses that I found that haven't had any autonomy, when you're trying to introduce them to even something simple like target training, the amount of repetitions it takes to teach one of those horses to actually reliably touch the target compared to a horse who, like a Mustang who has never been handled before, it's way harder to, to teach the traumatized horse to touch it. Like I'm talking like 30, 40, 50 reps sometimes compared to like four with another type of horse. Um, and it's because they're not used to having their decisions actually enact reliable results in their environment. And then once they do realize it's like a light bulb goes off in their head and they're like, oh, my God, like when I do this, this happens. And then suddenly training is very exciting and fun to them and it helps release a lot of anxiety. So those would be the two main things with like how you enact training, like giving them more choice um, and taking away the risk of punishment so that if they do the wrong thing, they're not like fearing getting feet or any or even yelled at or like backed up or chased around the arena anything that they find scary um and then the other thing would be to make sure that there's no underlying pain because like you said trauma is expensive to the body a lot of them have like muscular issues they might have hoof problems that then result in muscular issues and like full body problems so i would look into pain and then what i would also encourage people to do is like even if your vet 
clears your horse and they pass the vet check, that doesn't mean that they're pain free. You can't guarantee that there's no pain. Um, not being able to find the source of pain doesn't mean it's not there. And I think a lot of humans can also attest to this. Um, even if like, like I've had MRIs and like x-rays and stuff for certain parts of my body that I have chronic pain in and they come back clear, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm still in pain in those areas. Um, so the same applies to horses. And a lot of horses are in pain because there's a lot of stuff that we do that results in lasting issues. And like hooves would be a huge one that I would also say. And um, that that's a different story. But like it's the same thing with like safety and turnout and stuff. Like a lot of horses haven't like been able to feel their feet for decades because they've just lived in shoes all the time and they aren't like their frog never hits the ground so they don't have the same proprioception that a horse without metal shoes on has like I understand the anxiety of turning horses out on grass and watching them slip around when they're basically on ice skates um because I've done it before and ever since transitioning my horses barefoot or at minimum putting them in like a grippier more frog support style shoe I feel way safer watching them run around because even when it's like a little bit slippery, you can literally watch them hit an area of ground that they know is less safe and they immediately change their pace and how they go about walking. Um, and I bet that would also lower anxiety in itself because then they don't have to worry about slipping and falling. It would give them more confidence in just basic movements as well, in addition to the comfort. Just to respond to your answer, I think I believe the more self-aware we become, I think that helps to understand our animals as well. I always think, I find a lot of friends who have horses as pets, they use the horse as an escape or, you know, I need to go out and ride for an hour to help my anxiety. And ultimately the horse is taking on that energy. You know, I'm a big believer on, we transfer energy all the time. And I love how this is like science and spiritual in like one interview. But I do believe that the more self-aware we become and more conscious we become, the more we can understand that actually that horse has a complete nervous system and it's doing what it needs to do to keep itself safe. It needs to do, what, you know, because it's either life or death for your nervous system. So it's understanding yourself, I think, can be a massive thing to understand your horses too. And maybe not just going out to your horse just because you want them to fix your anxiety. It's like, hang on a minute. If yeah. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So I just wanted to respond. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I found that the more I've been able to heal my own trauma and like become more self-aware of my emotions and be better at managing them, it's made me a better trainer by default because I get less frustrated and I'm also way more patient. But also like horses are way more calm in my presence. Like I'll have clients that are like, oh, my horse is so much better for you or when you're here. And it's probably because they might be a little bit emotionally charged or upset and their horse is feeding off of that. And then they'll go and they'll stand by me because I'll just be like standing there. And like, it's even when the horses are freaking out, um, I just stand there. And some people will be like, oh, you're letting him get away with it. But then it's like the horse goes back to the baseline way quicker because you're just not reacting and you're, you're not elevating where you are internally. So the horse isn't feeling it. Um, but I do very much believe that they feed off of how people are feeling because anyone who's chronically frustrated, stressed, angry, or anything, they're going to notice the way you are, even if you have no idea, because you'll subconsciously change your body posture in ways that they're absolutely going to notice and pick up on, even if you're completely unaware of it, especially when you're riding them, like even if you get a little bit tense, they're going to feel all of that and be aware of it. And it's going to change their behavior accordingly.
Yeah, I can imagine them walking at you, coming over to you every day and like, oh, here she is again. Is she angry again today? I'm going to let her j- jump on my back today and give me a ride. But yeah, like I said, I love that, that connecting them too. So yeah, thank you for that. No, it is interesting because I mean, as you were talking, Pippa always tells me like how the body in humans, we store trauma. And then so you talking about the horses in pain, storing trauma. In the, the Mad About Horses podcast a, a couple weeks ago, I, I did an episode on the benefits of horse riding and talk a lot about the physical benefits, right? So we do get a lot of physical benefits. Exercise is good. It's good for our mental health, cardiovascular system, all of that. I'm really more focused on the the mental side, right? And that's kind of what we're talking about today and the science behind it. Can you talk about how horses have taught you, you know, to, to heal your trauma? Like, and and just to follow it up, because I know we, we could probably talk hours, me, I know me and Pip, we could talk hours about this stuff. What is it about Milo? Like, what did he teach you? So like when you go out and work your horses every day, you know, mentally, what are you getting, you know, health, health wise, but, you know, you also talk a lot about Milo and, and, and the journey that you two have been down uh, together. So kind of a two-parter, you know, your mental health, how is working and being around animals helped? And then how has Milo helped you along that journey? So Milo kind of forced, like, I'm going to say forced because he did, like he forced me to address my problems and change how I trained because he just wouldn't accept it. Um, And that's why I think he's so influential because he's the most expressive horse I own by far. Um, Despite the fact that like he wasn't really allowed to express himself in the beginning, like it was discouraged by me and trainers that I worked with. But despite that, even when he would meet punishment for expressing himself, he just did it anyways. And anytime I elevated my behavior to be louder and get mad at him and frustrated, he'd get even bigger um, and would just be like, absolutely not. And would like get like square up with me basically and be like, okay, if you want to be like that, like you're going to have to like fight me then. And then it was like very scary because I was like, okay, whoa, like this is not what I have ever had to deal with before because other horses were just way easier to bully. I'd never had a horse that wouldn't back down like that. Um, like he, like, I've never done this, but I can almost guarantee he, he's the type of horse that you could stand there and just like be flogging with a whip and he would still not move forward. He'd be like, he'd just start kicking, he'd start rearing and he'd fight you on moving forward, but he still wouldn't do it even if it was expensive to his body. Um, and scary and stressful to just keep taking whatever punishment is served to him. So he forced me to change the way that I train because using traditional training methods just, it would get me ahead in some areas, but then we'd hit like a plateau or we'd regress because he'd be so overwhelmed all the time. Um, And initially when I was building my social platforms, I actually got popular because of his misbehavior because he was always like bucking and like freaking out and was just a very highly stressed horse. Um, and what I learned with him is that like less was more like the quieter I got and the more patient I got. And if I didn't try to make him do things on a certain timeline, we actually moved ahead quicker. Um, and that just listening to him when he was trying to communicate with me, it would bring down his energy level right away anyways, because sometimes he would just be looking for like comfort and reassurance and would just need a break and for someone to just be there with him. Um, and I would let him down in certain situations because I would be so fixated on my goals that I would just push him to do these things anyways. 
Um, and then it would always come and backfire on me. And like, he's also, I think, a great example for trauma because like he was born into trauma. Um, and I think that that's also really changed him mentally because he was starved from the time he was born until the time he was two years old. And those are really important formative years for both the brain and body. So I think that he was more impacted by that than he would have if he'd gone through the same situation as an older horse, because even to this day, you could go, okay, he's been out of that situation for 10 years at this point. Um, so he shouldn't be concerned about not getting food or like be at the way he is. But it's like, when you're a baby, the first two years of your life seem very, very long because you've not lived any part of your life without that. Um, so he was more traumatized by what happened to him because of that. And he survived what happened to him. And I think that's also partly why he was able to just hold his ground and say like a hard no to things um, and really express himself. But he's definitely one of the most traumatized horses that I've worked with. And I think that a lot of the problems that I ran into were exacerbated by his trauma, but also exacerbated by how I went about handling them. And I think that kind of something that really resonates with me with Milo for like my own mental health is that when I got him, I was going through a really rough time in life. And I was like 18 and I was just graduating high school. And like, I didn't really know who I was as a person. Um, I was kind of living off of like other people's rules or what I thought like other people would like if I did. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of trauma, like in my family with like a lot of inconsistency and stuff that was like out of control. But yeah, we were both kids when I got him. So we were both going through big lifestyle changes and he was kind of a constant throughout that. And we largely like grew up together because now he's, he's going to be 12 this year um, and I just turned 28. Um, so he helped me kind of learn more about myself by really challenging me in ways that I don't think other horses would have because every horse that had leading up to that was easy enough to bully that even if they were a more difficult horse, they didn't demand a change for me in the same way that he did um and even to this day like if I was doing seminars about horse behavior he's probably the horse that I would pick to use because he's so in tune with the environment that like even if something slightly changes like immediately he's paying attention to it and um is aware of it and he's very very clear in his expression uh so he taught me a lot about horse behavior just simply by watching him and noticing little things about him and it also helps me um like learn how to apply horse behavior principles that I learned through him. And then I also learned a lot about linking like bodily pain to behavior through him too, because he had a lot of hoof issues that he was struggling with for a lot of the time in the beginning stages. Cause I was also learning about hooves for a lot and I did not do right by him for that. So he's kind of been like a test guinea pig for a lot of different practices that I've now adopted and have applied to lots of different horses um, because he was like that horse that I had during all of these big major shifts in my life which in some ways kind of sucks for him because he had to tolerate a lot more bs than my horses that I have now have um, especially like the, my youngster Banksy like I it's, it's funny looking at the differences between them because there's the one child that has never there's the one child that has never had a bad day in his life and then I have my my problem child who has grown up with a very inconsistent life, um, which is Milo. And 
just even comparing their behavior has also given me more insight on trauma and how it impacts the way that horses are. Um, and something that this is like kind of unrelated, but something is, I found so fascinating about Milo is just like his behavior. So like I've always said, like, it'd be really cool to try to do like a nature versus nurture study and clone this horse and see what his clone would be like if it grew up without being starved, because I bet it would be a completely different horse. Mm. Um, but also his trauma has made him different and special in a way that makes him way more in tune with the environment and he's very 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 intelligent um and he also has taught me it's like you you should give horses way more credit for their intelligence because he like he he knows what's going on and he knows when he can like like he limbos underneath the electric wire um and he knows how to listen to like when it's ticking and he can hear when there's like a break in the line and then he's like okay it's go time i got a duck under now and it won't shock me um so he's just been such an influential horse for me mental health wise. And he's kind of pushed me to start addressing things trauma wise and really like look inward and kind of also be more patient with myself because I, for a while, didn't really admit how much trauma I went through as a kid. And also that a lot of the mistakes that I made in horsemanship and also my life with like how I'd be reactive to things was a result of dealing with all the trauma where like my threshold was always near the top. So it didn't take very much for me to overflow and then be, reactive frustrated angry and emotional um and for a while I had a lot of shame about that and I was very very hard on myself and I still am to an extent but also I look at it from the standpoint of like everyone to some extent has moments like that but our society is not honest about it so everyone's playing this role where they're hiding where they've made mistakes and gotten overwhelmed and where they were ignorant in different stages of their life uh, and they're trying to put on this facade for the public eye that kind of harms everyone because we then feel the need to be perfect and mistake free in a way that is not realistic whatsoever. And it also kind of creates this mindset that whoever you've chosen to be throughout stages of your life is going to remain constant, that you can't change these aspects of yourself and that they're going to follow you. Uh, and that you always have to hold yourself accountable for things of the past, which I think accountability is important, but also who someone is at 18 versus 28 is two different people in, in most cases, if they've done personal growth, because it's two very different life stages. And even now, who I am now, I'm going to be very different in, a, in another 10 years, and there's probably going to be stuff that I'm doing now that I'll criticize uh, because I'll have experienced growth. So he and I have kind of healed our mental health and our trauma in tandem. And I think that's been why he's been such an important character because I was very resistant to changing my practices. And he was like, no, you're, you're going to change these practices or I'm going to put you in the hospital. And I was like, okay, um, I will. <laughs> so. Yeah. So one of the podcasts that Chris did for Mad About Horses was about my mitochondrial my DNA, is it called? Oh yeah, like mitochondrial DNA. Yeah, and, and it kind of got me thinking about, you know, humans have generational trauma and I truly believe he, horses have generational trauma. So, you know, if Milo's mom was traumatized or she had trauma as, you know, a young foal, then that's passed down to Milo. And I think that's my teacher who teaches me my master's, her huge goal is to make more people aware of trauma and their own trauma. And it needs to be in schools and it needs to be with doctors. As you mentioned earlier, it needs to be something that's worldwide known because we all, we all had trauma no matter what it is. And I think I'm going to move on to my last question in a second. 
when we get to know our horses too, as you've got a really close bond with Milo. So I think it's under, we have windows of tolerance that we're learning about that. It's called a traffic light system. So we have the triggers. We have the things that really, really trigger us. And then we have the things that I'm, I'm good today. Like today's a good day. So we have that window of tolerance. And I think horses and every animal has windows of tolerance. We have rescued a young a female dog and she has her own trauma from being you know on the streets we don't really know what happened to her and you start to see as I understand my trauma again wrapping that up is I see hers as well so I believe that more people need to know about trauma because it helps to understand animals as well there's definitely a lot more questions I want to ask you Shelby and I think maybe I can get you on a part two on my podcast in the future but my last question that I like to ask everyone who comes onto the podcast is where do you see the future of healing the future of trauma the future of of it all of what, what would you think like 20 30 50 years where do you see it going um like I think it could be two sides of the coin where it gets way better or where it'll get way worse if we don't address certain things that are just like system systemically traumatizing people uh, I do really agree with what you say about generational trauma for like all animals humans included um that's something that I'm very conscious of and I think that needs to be taught too because it'll actually help people understand why certain marginalized populations have higher degrees of mental health issues and subsequent problems and I think that's important like my dad's black our ancestors were enslaved and it's not fair to expect generations of people to just move on perfectly from that level of abuse and same with animals without having scars from it emotionally even if they didn't endure the abuse themselves they would it gets it trickles down throughout the generations so I would like to see that change where there's just more compassion and understanding I think a great start would be, yeah, teaching children in schools about their emotions, about anxiety and about trauma so that there's less shame involved and that people are more comfortable talking about what's happened to them and reaching out for help. And that mental health stuff isn't as taboo, that we make people understand that a lot of physical health issues are related to mental health and trauma. And I think that a really important thing for doing all of that is also having a more community minded mindset, whether people realize it or not. I think all of us are being collectively traumatized by the fact that we've created this world where there's certain statuses and monetary values applied to human life, where we walk by people who are unhoused on the streets and actively having the entire world have to see their trauma and their struggle because they have nowhere else to go. And there's this mindset that they brought that upon themselves when you don't know their story. And a lot of them have really sad stories if you actually listen to what happened to them. And we know that like addiction and these mental health issues are all they're all from trauma. You don't just go into substance abuse out of nowhere. So I think that community mindset needs to change where we need to have the mindset that everyone is deserving of life. Everyone deserves to be housed. Everyone deserves to have food, water, and every person deserves a dignified existence. And that if we want to see people managing themselves in a healthy way, we need to be creating a healthy environment, which we don't currently have. Like even here in Canada, we have universal health care, but it doesn't, it doesn't apply to mental health care. So even people who really want help and who need therapy if they can't afford to do it, they're not going to get it. And it's the same thing with people with substance abuse issues. Even if they want treatment in BC, which is the hub of all opiate abuse in Canada, because uh, we're a port city or Vancouver, I should say, there's like two publicly funded treatment centers that have like two beds at a time. And those are the only free beds that they have. So people who are traumatized and need help can't get the help. So society can't heal because 
there's obstacles that are deliberately put in place to prevent certain people from accessing the help they need to get better. And then those people go on to traumatize other people and are harmed long term because of that. So if we heal people's trauma and actually give them the tools to heal it without having it be behind paywalls, we would see society collectively heal as a whole, whether or not people realize it. Like even people who think that homeless people have brought it on themselves that they don't deserve housing. I can guarantee that their well-being would increase if they weren't having to live in cities where they were exposed to people who were living their worst aspects of life right out in the open where people have to see them. Whether or not we're consciously aware of it, I think these things impact us. Uh, And I also think more environmental connectivity with nature and just aware of like how everything is connected, like the trees, more respect for the environment around us. Um, And kind of just looking at things that way, like I think the indigenous mindset about how much respect they have for each other community and the environment is something that we really need to replicate and i think we've done the world a massive disservice by effectively extinguishing a lot of their voices and deliberately putting them in positions where they don't have the means of reaching as many people through policy change and like being in political positions of power where they can affect massive change so i hope that changes too because We can't really get all these policies in place if the people in power are coming from positions where they haven't learned to empathize with all these different groups of marginalized people. Um, Because it's a lot easier to ignore a problem that you've never experienced yourself and that no one's even brought to your attention. So I'd like to see all of that change so that there's more collective understanding of everyone. I mean, we just need more empathy. I mean, empathy for everybody and, and the planet, you know, and that's what in all creatures that's what we, we fight for every week week in week out is is fighting for these uh these creatures that don't have a voice but even those that do you know like you said yeah. it's 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 all symbiotic we're all one uh, together in, in our environment it, it's a fascinating talk and i think oh gosh having pip on trauma and animals and 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 i would love to continue this conversation uh, maybe in a future date because it's just it's fascinating in, in your take and and tying in with horses but you know like you said nature and, and living in, in british columbia where you live and in, in canada and getting outdoors and connecting with with mother earth i think is important it just to talk to, to finish all up where can our listeners on on all of our podcasts uh where, where can they learn more about you just again your book the other side of horsemanship my journey of unlearning cruelty and healing trauma. Uh, I know that's all over Amazon and, and your website, but you know, if you can mention some of your socials and where else people can follow you. Yeah. So I have a podcast called making milestones that's on most major podcast providers. And then my book and all the places you can buy it are listed on my website, milestoneequestrian.ca. And then I have my shop page where I sell like equestrian apparel and horse bridles. And that's shopmilestoneeq.com. And then I'm on Instagram, TikTok as SD Equus, S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. And then I'm on Facebook as Milestone Equestrian. Um, so those are all the places that, oh, and YouTube also as Milestone Equestrian. So those are, those are all the places that I'm present and involved. And also all of those are linked on my website as well. If people just go look at my main website, which is the milestoneequestrian.ca. Well, thank you so much, Shelby. I definitely want to get you back on for part two because as I'm learning my master's, I am just fascinated with the topic. Like trauma has always been a fascinating topic for me. As horse behavior, you love horse behavior. I really love human behavior. It just fascinates me how there's just these huge 
the spectrum of like you said empathy and this you know i believe the world needs more love we need to connect back to love and it's been great having you on to talk about like that science and spirituality connectedness so i really hope my listeners have really taken a lot from this and i hope that they can reach out to you and find you on socials and i'm going to be following your journey as well so thank you so much for your time i've really appreciated it yeah thank you so much for having me on it's also a topic that fascinates me so it was really awesome to talk about it thanks shelby